The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. everybody it is thursday july 6th 2023 and it is indeed a heck of a morning we are live on the mma fighting twitter spaces you can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the mma fighting podcasting network hello everybody i am mike heck hope everyone's having a fantastic week hope all my canadian friends had a great canada day hope all of my Fellow American friends, had a great 4th of July, and I missed you all. It's been a, it's been six days since we've been here on the Twitter spaces. We did not do a show on Tuesday because it was the 4th of July. I had a great time with my family, played some golf with my dad early in the morning on Tuesday, and then we headed on over to Hilton Head Island. It was hot as shit. We went to the beach, went to the pool. Got to watch some fireworks. My parents came down. It was very cool. Had the whole fam together. Took a few days off. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was a great time. I got a ton of color. I am like golden right now. And you can see for yourself uh, on BTL, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Should be a fun one. Talk a lot about 290 and more. It'll be Jed Mishu and... Morning Combat's Brian Campbell back on BTL this week. So this should be a very fun episode with lots of hot takes and chicanery. It should be a blast. So 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, join us for a brand new edition of BTL. But it is International Fight Week. We are 
just rocking and rolling. We had media day yesterday, press conference today, weigh-ins tomorrow, and then Saturday, the big events, UFC 290, two really good title fights, both flying completely under the radar, in my opinion. I love the Volkanovsky-Rodriguez fight. You all know my feelings on it. I think it's the best fight on the books right now, and that includes the BMF title fight. Brandon Moreno, Alexander Pantoja getting no love at all. That fight is incredible. We get Robert Whitaker, DDP. Stakes could be very high there. Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner. Bo Nickel, kind of a wacky week for him. Loses his opponent, and then a few hours later gets a new opponent. He'll fight Val Woodburn, who will be making his promotional debut. We'll have the final fight of Robbie Lawler's career against Nico Price. It was an interesting week for Jack Della Maddalena. He was supposed to fight Sean Brady. Sean Brady with an arm infection. He is out. He was hospitalized. He's still healing up. Uh, he will now fight Josiah Harrell, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago. Coming off that big win at LFA, drove his opponent through the friggin' cage door. Viral moment. And guy's real good. Tough debut, but he's real solid. He's a guy that has been on the UFC's radar for a little while now. And at worst, I expected him to find himself a spot on the Contender Series this summer, but he gets fast-tracked. He gets himself on a huge card for his debut. We got Yasmin Yergi versus Denise Gomez. That's a great fight. Jimmy Crude, Alonzo Menafield will set, settle the score. Edgar Chires who was part of one of the most horrific finishing sequences in the history of our great sports against Gianni Vasquez for Fury FC a couple of months ago. He was scheduled to be on the Contender Series. He now fights Tetsuro Tyra on this card, 130-pound catchweight. Vitor Petrino, Marcin Praccio. We got Cameron Simon back against Terrence Mitchell. Shannon Ross, Jesus Aguilar, and Kamuela Kirk versus Esteban Rebovich. That is your International Fight Week card. Pretty solid. 14 fights. The top two are incredible. Should be a really fun watch. And, of course, we'll have the watch party on Saturday as well. Off to New York on Saturday. Myself and GC join us on the YouTube channel. We'll have fun whether you're ordering the pay-per-view and want to watch along with us or if you don't want to spend 80 bucks on it. We'll tell you everything that's going to happen. So let's get into this thing. Let's hear from you all. It's been a minute. Very excited to hear what you all have to say. Cole, get us started, my man. Morning, Mike. Um, Morning. Thanks for that absolute lock of the century and that Romanov-Blagoy-Ivanov fight over one and a half. I appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, just there was no other way that fight was ever going to go. I'm curious, in those top three fights this weekend – do you see any angle of betting any overs in those? I personally think the main event is more likely to go longer than the co-main. Um, I'm wondering if you kind of feel the same way on that. That's all I got. Uh, thank you, Cole. Yeah, dude. Minus 205 for over one and a half on Romanov, Blagoy, Ivanov was the steal of the century. It was the steal of the century. Stunned, stunned that it was minus 205. So much value. So if you, if you took that, you were very smart. 
and congratulations. Uh, let me see here. Whitaker DDP under two and a half is minus 165. That's kind of surprising. I kind of feel like that one's going to go to the cards. I feel like that one just screams 30-26 Whitaker to me. So that might be something to look at. Uh, let's see what the main event is. Under four and a half, minus 125. Over four and a half, minus 105. I think that one's going to go to the cards as well. Moreno Pantoja. I mean, flyweight under nation. I kind of feel like under three and a half at plus 140 is very possible here. Yeah, I have to take a, a kind of a deeper look at these, but I kind of feel like there's value at plus money for Whitaker DDP. I know DDP is kind of chaotic, but dude's got nothing to lose here. He's got to fight smart if he wants to beat Robert Whitaker. I kind of feel like that one's going to the cards. So maybe you take a plus money shot at Whitaker DDP over two and a half. Because DDP, you know, is not the most technical fighter, but he is durable as shit. And Whitaker can finish, but he's not a prolific finisher these days. He just goes out there and does the job over time. Plus money on that kind of kind of seems like a good one. So I wouldn't go crazy on it, but I think there's value at plus 135 there. I definitely do. But none of these scream have to slam it like the minus 205 Romanoff even off one. But I think there's a little bit of value on the Whitaker DDP going over two and a half. Let's go to CV. What's up, What's up, Mike? Uh, glad to have you back. Hope you had a great long weekend. Um, it's hot as shit here too, here in Canada. So, but whatever. <laughs> July is the best month of the year. Um, so, just two quick questions for me. Um, first off, um, I know you've been harping on this for a while, and I was actually just listening to your interview you had with John Anik uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Pento uh, Moreno Pantoja uh, three. Uh, let's talk about it. Um, what do you? Um, I know you're probably doing the preview show tomorrow and BTL, but can you just give us like uh, early your early thoughts on this fight? Um, I think Moreno is gonna finish Pantoja emphatically, so uh, we'll see if that happens. And uh, second question: uh, Where do you rank Robbie Lawler uh, all time among all the welterweights in UFC history? Thanks. Hmm. Good question. So I'll start with, with Moreno Pantoja. I think it's going to be a really good fight. I think it's going to be competitive. I can see a world where it gets stopped maybe in the, in the fourth round. But one thing Brandon Moreno said to Ariel Hawani that I completely agree with is that although Pantoja has two wins over Brandon Moreno, he has not faced the best Brandon Moreno yet or even close to it. And I feel like right now we're in the middle of prime Brandon Moreno, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world right now. So I do believe him there. But as we've seen in the sport, sometimes a fighter just has your number. And maybe Pantoja just has Brandon Moreno's number. I don't know. Pan, 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 Ali Pants has looked 
really, really good over his last three fights and, and really for a lot of his career. His losses are since what, 2019, since he got on this title run, his losses are to Figgy Smalls in July 2019, which is a very respectable loss. Came back, knocked out Matt Schnell in one of the craziest fights I've ever seen. Loses to Askar Askarov, which wasn't a big surprise considering what Askarov was in 2020. And then he beat Manel Kopp, which is a great win. Finished Brandon Royval, which is a superb win. And then submitted Alex Perez in the first round. This guy's real good. But to me, I feel like Moreno is just smack dab in the middle of his of, of, of greatness when it comes to 125. So emphatic finish. I don't know if we're going to see that, but I feel like this kind of has, although I think the fight's going to be a little bit longer, Moreno, Kaikar, France vibes to it where Pantoja gets out to an early lead and Moreno kind of figures things out and then gets cooking. And then once that snowball starts rolling downhill, it's very tough to stop. So I do think Moreno will finish him. I think he gets him out of there. Uh, but I do think it's a super competitive fight till that point. Robbie Lawler, where do I rank him all-time welterweights? Top five? It's probably top five. He's not above GSP. He's not above Woodley. He's not above Usman. But he's probably nestled away in that top five for sure. Yeah, top five, top six, which is a pretty pretty damn good place to be. Uh, Matt Hughes, obviously, is up there as well. Yeah, five or six. I think you can make a case for both of those. It was interesting hearing Robbie Lawler at Media Day yesterday. He spoke more than he's ever spoken in his life. I've interviewed Robbie Lawler a couple of times. He is not an easy cat to interview. Short answers. He never talks trash. It's all about – and it's wholesome shit. I love talking to Robbie. He's all about family and watching The Office with his kids and all of that. If fights don't get him excited, he's just not going to fight. He's just going to spend time with his family and train. So I think, um, yeah, I think we'll look. I can't wait. I'm going to definitely be part of the damn they were good on Robbie Lawler. Hopefully it's something we put together in the next couple of weeks after this fight. And like we've talked about many times before, my favorite fight of all time is Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit. I believe that fight is better than the Roy McDonald fight. I will happily die on that hill. I know the Roy McDonald fight is going into the Hall of Fame, but to me, the Condit fight is better. And I will, I will say that until the day I die. Let's go to Toke. Then we'll go to Mikey. And then Eric and J-Stat. Toke, what's up, buddy? Talked uh, about me being a sports better. I didn't tell you that I was a D-Gen, though. Um, so what I did, I did the best thing I could because I picked, uh, Romanov, uh, the Romanov, uh, Ivanov fight to go the distance, which, it, which I said all week was going to happen. Came of the show said it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I made a boo-boo because I parlayed oh, no. it. 
with Guran Kutazalatse. <laughs> which oh, is no. such it's such little juice. Such little juice. But I was just like, I can get a better price if I just parlay Guron. So what I want to talk to you about now is just this is a weird this is a weird run for Guron because we all see how good he is. But now if we go according to how he ranks his career, he's 0-3 in the UFC. Because he he told us all, yeah, I think I lost the Matters Gamrod fight. We've seen his talent be immense in his three fights. He looks incredible. And if we believe himself, which I actually do, I also scored it from Metzger's Gamrod, but that's not how we do rankings, but never mind. He's 0-3, uh, which places him in a weird, weird place where we know exactly how good he is, but he's never, or not never, but he's not going to get the fights that makes sense uh, like the record and the and the skills don't match up at all so can you talk a bit about that and where you see him going forward because this is uh weird to me very weird to me but uh have a good uh have a good thursday mike you too man look let me just pull up his his page here I mean, look at the run of guys he's had to fight since he got to the UFC. He debuts against Gamrot, wins that fight, very close. Even he says he thought he lost it, but it was a very close fight with Matush Gamrot. Then he fights Demirz Magulov, loses a splitty. There's a, a good amount of people who thought he won that fight. And then he takes on, he was supposed to fight Tiago Moises, which is his, another tough fight. Then he's supposed to fight Jamie Malarkey, another tough, tough fight. And he gets Elvis Brenner, who just completely flew under the radar. And Guram was just a massive favorite. I actually thought there was a little bit of value on Elvis Brenner. I just didn't think that. What was that? Minus, he was a minus 670 favorite. I just did not see that. I just did not see that. And Brenner is just durable as hell, as you saw in that fight. The dude has just been in there with... Just high-risk, medium-reward guys. It's really interesting. But I still think he's a top 25 lightweight, despite his record. Now it's a, it's just a matter of where you go from here. And the, I honestly don't know. Activity is going to be huge for him. Because that's been really a big hamper in all of this is Fights Gamrot. He got a lot of buzz from that fight. He was booked to fight Don Madge two different times in 2021. Both of those fights fell through due to withdrawals and injury. And then we didn't get to see him again until mid-June of last year. And he fights Isma Gulov, booked twice in 2023. Both those fights are canceled. And then he takes this Brenner fight on short notice and loses again, it's just a very strange run for him. But I still think he's one of the 25 best lightweights in the world right now. I'll tell you what would actually be like a really compelling fight. I think the Patty fight would actually make a lot of sense for Gurum. Because I think it's a fight that he can win, but I also think it's a fight that Patty can win because of his durability. 
Patty can take an ass whooping. He can get cracked and keep on going. So I, I actually don't think that's a bad one. They could put, they could kind of just give Patty somebody to work and just walk over. They could certainly do that. But if Guram's like healthy enough end of the year, early 2024, I think that's kind of like an interesting test for Patty. It just really depends on what the UFC is trying to do with him. If we're keeping him in this, let's just get Patty on cards and get, get him wins type of, roller, of, of road. Maybe you don't do that, but if we're like, let's keep giving him little steps up in competition, to go from Jared Gordon to, to Guram, I think actually makes a lot of sense. But other than that, he's going to be fighting like the Joe Seleckis of the world. And this is like no, no respect to Joe Selecki. Dude's really good. The Claudio Poyas's, the Rafa Garcia's, like guys who are fringe top 25, top 30 guys. It's kind of where he's at right now. And in this division, that road is just not going to get any easier for him. So, yeah, very strange UFC run for him thus far. But it, I still think he's one of the best, one of the 25 best 55ers, despite 1 and 2 or 0 oh and 3, depending on how you look at it. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Mikey, hello. I am not. I am not in Man, Vegas. what are you doing with your life? 
I'm just kidding. You're having a good one, Ben. Uh, saw your vacation, mate. So glad you uh, had a good Fourth of July. But anyways, just to touch on a couple of things. Um, for as for, look, look, let's we don't have to worry too much about it. Robbie Lawler is going to make another trip to the Hall of Fame because that Condit fight is going to be in the Hall of Fame. And if it isn't, it's a joke. Uh, that institution's a joke if it's not in there. Just like Frank Shamrock not being in it. But um, that's still the better fight than Rory versus Rob from this perspective alone. Um, other than the fact that I was there to witness it live, is that I felt Condit Lawler was way more competitive round per round. Um, Rory was winning, I think, about three to four rounds. I think I had him up three rounds go heading into the fifth of that fight. If if Robbie didn't finish him, he was going to lose. So, um, and for as for Bo Nickel, I know that there's been some just smile chatter about him getting Val Woodburn on short notice, but I think you know, people were just like, oh, why didn't the UFC just pay someone up? You know, they should have paid Chris Curtis and all these guys. So far. Like, I need people to choose their lane. The kid is about to have, what, third, fourth fight in MMA overall. And you guys want him to get, like, a top 20 guy with, like, 30 fights? Or, you know, Kevin Holland? I mean, you guys need to let things breathe. Because you know what's funny? If he, if he gets a Chris Curtis or a Kevin Holland and beats him, then you have to start progressing him. Well, not have to, but he's, at minimum, he's going to have to start fighting ranked guys. And then if he loses to one of them, MMA fans are going to be like, see, he's a bust, which is ridiculous. He's 27. He has time. You know, clearly the UFC wanted him to be on this card. And it's just, it's just smart business to keep him on the biggest card of the year, you know. And besides, worst case scenario, and even if he loses to Val Woodburn, which wouldn't be good per se, He's young enough to where he can recover from it. I think it's fine. You know, yeah, we can talk about pay disparity, whether they should have gotten just paid someone more to fight him. We can talk about it all the time. But at the end of the day, you know, the irony about everyone doubting Val Woodburn is like, I know it's not the same caliber fight. It's not the same scenario. But Lando Venata has been in the UFC ever since he fought Tony Ferguson. And he took that fight on like three days notice and almost beat him. Like, he still got his butt kicked, but because of how good he looked against Tony Ferguson, how he almost knocked him out, basically kept him in the UFC. So, food for thought for all those MMA fans who are always so quick to, you know, begrudge certain matchups and late notice fights and all this stuff. You never know when your new fave pops up out of nowhere, you know? Just saying. Anyways, happy International Fight Week, guys. It's going to be a big day today. Don't forget to tune into the presser today. I'll be headed down there. Be kind to one another. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no Vegas for me. I am getting International Fight Week FOMO. That is for damn sure. I, I, I wanted to be there. We just couldn't make it happen. Um, but hopefully next year and the future years, uh, I will go there with Jose again. And we'll tag team it like we did last year. I, I enjoyed it very much. That was my first time ever in Vegas. Was covering International Fight Week last year. So I was hoping to get back out there again. Plan was to go out on the 4th and then take a red eye out of there Friday night after the ceremonials, go to New York, do the watch party, and then go home Sunday. But wasn't in the cards, and it is what it is. The I mean, a lot of the names you mentioned, like Holland and, and Curtis and guys like that, um, I didn't see a lot of like fan hankering for those guys to fight Bo. I did see a lot of it, especially from the fighters to fight JDM. 
when JDM needed a new opponent. Like Chris Curtis is like, yeah, let's go. Holland said the same. And I think what was so enticing about that opportunity was that Madalena, Della Madalena was willing to go to 185 to fight. So Curtis and, and Holland made a lot of sense. The one name that I, I really saw pushing for, for Bo was Caio Baraglio. And if I'm Bo Nickel, I ain't touching that fight with the 10-foot pole right now. Like, what's – the risk-reward is just not worth it. Like, Caio's good and he's winning fights, but what does he really gain from beating Caio? It doesn't really gain a whole lot. Hardcores would be like, wow, it's a pretty good win for a guy who's only 4-0 as a pro. But in the overall landscape of things, for his de- overall development, I don't think that fight does a lot for him. So, yeah, this is kind of where we landed. Val's a fun dude. He is very explosive, undefeated. He's going to have to cut a lot of weight. So we'll see how he looks on the scale tomorrow morning. But, yeah, this is this is – we're trying to get Bo over. Now, if he goes out there and just melts Woodburn, which he is heavily favored to do, he's the biggest favorite in UFC history as of right now at minus 2,400. You know, and then we kind of go from there. I think he's beyond the, I think he goes beyond the Jamie Pickett, Trayshawn Gore tier and kind of moves on up to, then this is where it gets kind of interesting. Do we go to like the Julian Marquez, Eric Anders route? Do we go a little higher? Do we go to the Brad Tavares types, the Gerald Mearshart types? What, what, what comes from this performance is going to be really interesting. Now, it is, I think it is imperative for Bo Nickel, whoever he fights, to go out there and just get a clean win. No controversy, no, was was there a need of the balls? Was there not a need of the balls? Did the referee not call a stop to the action? Did he make a mistake? He needs to just go out there and have a clean win. I don't even care if he finishes Val Woodburn. He needs to go out there and just have a clean win, no controversy, go out there and get it done. And then from there, it's, you know, sky's kind of the limit here. So, yeah, I'm glad he's still fighting. But there is a part of me... And normally I don't really complain about card placement when it comes to pay-per-views. Robbie Lawler, Nico Price being the featured prelim is going to get more eyeballs than Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price being on the main card. But for Christ's sake, what are we doing here? That fight should be the main card opener. Bo Nickel should go to the featured prelim. What are we doing? What are we doing? Come on. It's a special moment. One of the most exciting fighters, final appearances. That should be kicking off the main card. That's a great way to do it. Him and Nico Price going to beat the shit out of each other. Let's go. Maybe they'll change it. Maybe there'll be enough fan outrage before then, but probably not. But that should be the first fight on the main card. Eric, what's up, man? That other guy... That fight's gonna, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are we are we forgetting that fight? And I think Rob Lawler and Carlos Condon was the greatest fight then Warrior and McDonald and uh, yeah, Warrior McDonald fight. So if that's not if that's not gonna be in the Hall of Fame, uh, we riot, we riot. We're gonna get we're gonna get back to the Hall of Fame this year. Thanks, guys. Yeah, dude, that fight should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Like I understand 
that was the, the that was just an aesthetically like just the timing of everything that happened when Lawler McDonald happened was just gigantic. Like it was it was every that was like the perfect fight for that card. You know what I mean? We're about to get Connor Mendez. It's like a ravenous group of fans. Like the fans are red hot. They were into everything, and those two guys just delivered. They had that moment at the end of the fourth round where they're staring each other down. Both guys are just absolutely destroyed. And then Robbie goes out there and just hits his nose and gets him out of there in the fifth. I mean, it's, I'm not here to shit on the fight. It's a great fight. But the kind of fight's just way better. It's just a way better fight. And it has the be- and it has maybe the best round of all time. With that fifth round. That fifth round is so ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. There is not one round in the Robbie Lawler Roy McDonald fight that holds a candle to the fifth round of Lawler Condit. And the the worst part about Lawler Condit is like to me, that has the Rocky One vibes where it's just like when you watch Rocky one and you see Rocky and Apollo Creed beat the hell out of each other and it gets to the end and you hear Apollo say like, there ain't going to be no rematch. There ain't going to be no rematch. And the music's playing. You like, you almost forget that Apollo Creed won. It wasn't a draw. Apollo wins the fight and you almost like forget about it. So it's like both guys won. And that's kind of how it felt just watching that fight in a vacuum. You're just like, Holy shit, that fight was great. You almost forget about the winner and the loser. But if you really sit there and you watch that fight and you look back on Carlos Condit's career and you're like, damn, dude, like this guy was never, this guy should have undisputed welterweight champion on his resume. And he doesn't because he kind of got the big fat hose job that night. I thought he won that fight. Carlos Condit should be, should have UFC welterweight champion on his resume, undisputed champion, but he doesn't. And that is like the worst part about that fight is that we look back on Condit's career and he's not the undisputed champion. But other than that, that fight just absolutely rules. And it should be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't care if you put Robbie Lawler in the Hall of Fame two years in a row. In fact, I don't care if you put Robbie in individually and the fight at the same time over the next couple of years. But the next three to four international fight weeks, Robbie Lawler should have Hall of Fame, something to do with the Hall of Fame, in at least two of them. One for himself just going in and one for that fight going in. 1,000%. Let's go to J-Stat. What's up, J-Stat? You too. Um, What is your bold prediction for this Saturday's card? That'll be all. Bold prediction. Hmm. By the way, as I'm, as I'm working this out in my brain, the fact that <laughs> the last caller goes, hey, is everyone forgetting about the Dan Hooker fight against who's he fighting? <laughs> Just incredible. Uh, it's Jalen Turner, by the way, and that fight's really good. Uh, uh... I don't really have anything bold in the main events. Other than the fight's going to be awesome. I don't really have anything bold in the co-main events. 
I think a lot of us are on the same page with the featured bout. Hooker Turner's going to be real good. There's nothing really bold there. I know Turner's a big favorite, but I could see Dan winning that fight. <sighs> this is not really a bold card, unless you're going to go like Yair just kills Volk, but I, I, I think Yair should be way more competitive than the betting line suggests. I'll tell you what. I will go, and this isn't like incredibly bold, but I will tell you this. I think jo- Josiah Harrell is going to give Jack Della Maddalena the business. I don't think he's going to beat JDM, but I think he's going to give JDM a tough-ass fight. I think, I think we're going to end – I think we're going to get out of that fight with people being like, damn, can't wait for Josiah to go back to 155 because he's going to be a problem. I think he's going to give JDM fits. I think it's a really tough fight for JDM. On short notice, Josiah has a gas tank. That dude can go forever. And he is, he's tough, man. He can crack, really good wrestler, puts on a pace and a half. But on top of that, very calculated fighter. So I'm not going to go bold and say, like, Josiah is going to win. But if you take, like, a splash on him, I think Josiah's going to fight for your money, man. I think he's going to fight for your money. And you want to talk about, like, over-under lines that, that could be profitable? Over one and a half in that fight is plus 215. Josiah's really good, man. I know he's a little undersized, but he's fought at welterweight before. I think he's going to show you some stuff. I could be dead wrong, but I feel I feel like he's going to give JDM much more of a fight than the betting odds and maybe some other people suggest. He's he's a he's a very talented guy. Henderson, hello, Mike. Heck of a morning to you, man. I'm really excited for this card. I'm a huge Volk fan. I've called in to talk about rugby and Volk in the past. Uh, I'm a huge Moreno fan too, especially like I'm a I'm a Hispanic American and like. Moreno is one of the, even though there's now multiple Mexican champions, Moreno is one that's really crossed over into America, which is awesome to see. And then Lawler is one of my greatest all time, like fight fighter heroes. You know, he's like a fucking hero, man. And, and I think what's so unique about his style too, is that he just turned the brawling style while still having an, at least enough parrying defense to like survive, you know, he could brawl for five rounds, which is really incredible and wrestle with the best. Like he slammed Askren. People forget about that too. So anyway, I, I also just wanted to talk about one thing I've been thinking about, and this card's kind of a perfect example of this, but like I've watched the UFC for a long time and there used to be a couple different ways you could get into the UFC Mostly you would either get signed as a free agent from another big organization, or you'd get like some basic low level contract. And nowadays the low level, basic entry level contract, like that Tatsura Tyra guy, or like even Patty Pimblet, that's like a huge achievement because there's even worse ways to get into the UFC now. Right. So other than those two main ways, I would say Chandler was a big free agent. And like, there's, there's people who come in on normal contracts, but mainly people either get in through the contender series through, through doing well on tough and like getting a contract from that, 
or getting these last second fights way above their head, like this Woodburn guy, like that guy would be way better served just having normal matchmaking and like coming into the UFC, but he's willing to take this fight over his head to get that UFC contract and the promise of another fight. Right. So of those three ways, tough contender or these like last second, last chance fights, what do you think's the best way to come into the UFC? And what do you think's the way that leaves you with like really a lot of baggage, you know? All right. Great show. Keep it up. Hopefully we have a great fight weekend. Thanks, man. Um, that's tough, man. I would say, like, honestly, at this point, I would say, like, just getting a short notice call is probably the easiest thing because you're just kind of doing the UFC a favor, and that's always good. And if you could deliver a somewhat competitive fight, like, that goes a long way with the UFC. Kind of does you some favors. I mean, we just talked about Guram Kutatalatse. Goes in there with Matush Gamrod on on pretty short notice and did, gave that dude fits and got over in a big way because of that fight. So I think it's probably the best way to do it. I used to think it was the contender series, but after the first two seasons, when it became like, well, all you have to do is win and get in, it just it's just not the same show anymore. It's lost a lot of its luster. Because now it's because of the business side of it. It's the business side of it. You get to sign these guys on entry-level deals. You fulfill some cool things on the ESPN contracts. So they're making money hand over fist putting on these contender series cards. And then they're paying these fighters 12 and 12 for entry-level deals. And if it, if it works out, if they win a couple of fights, they get the next tier up. And if they lose two, they can just cut their ass. So, I mean, for the UFC, it's clearly contender series is the best way to do it. Uh, but for the fighters, I mean, it's probably just getting the short notice call contender series. Is just a lot. Cause I mean, wh what happens if you show up in the contender series, your fighter misses weight, then you worked all your, you worked your ass off that whole time. You don't even get to fight. It's not like you can just pull somebody in. You have to be rebooked and then you have to do this thing all over again. Tough is just, whatever at this point, like just look at the ratings for tough. They are just tanking left and right. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They had the opportunity to do something fun here. They're not doing really anything. They just got Connor in there and I think people are sick of it already. They just want to see Connor get in there and fight at this point. So had the chance to mix things up and make things different and you really didn't do it. So I would say right now, short notice, Money's going to be pretty much all the same. Tough, you probably get a nice little cash reward at the end, but do you want to leave your family for two months or however long it is and be stuck in a house with a bunch of people and cameras on you? It's tough. I mean, no pun intended. It's tough. So short notice, get in there. Nothing to lose. As long as you have, if you go in there and have a competitive fight, you're good. If you go get washed, you'll get another chance. But yeah, I don't think either of those ways are are great. But I would say short notice is probably the best. Let's go to Mike Minded. What's up, Mike? Wait, sorry about that. Hey, Mike, you can hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, yeah. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm excited for this week. 
Uh, dang, I lost my question a little bit. But what I was gonna think, what I was thinking about was, um, you think how do you feel about the UFC giving like do, who gave the belt to Yair? Because I keep seeing this back and forth between it was Dana's deal with the on the complex shoe is Yair's management. I'm pretty sure the UFC was involved, or the guy reached out to the UFC and then kind of just gave it to the management. And do you think that Dana's finally taken in some input from, like, the fan complaints of, like, not having the Mexican Independence Day or Cinco de Mayo cards and you got three champs? And do you see this as a good turn and hopefully going into the next year, try actually seeing, like, cultural identity given to some of these guys? And then um, I'm feeling Yair might be the best dog on the card. Uh, Volk is about to be 35. He's strong. He's explosive. He has that good head kick. Um, you know, I know there's that stat that goes around that's like two and 28, two and 29 with uh champions over 39, over 35. Uh, do you think that's going to be a factor? You think Yair is young and just peaking at the right time, or what do you feel about that? I mean, I, I Volk's already the champion, so I don't really put that statistic really in play. It's usually that stat really goes to to fighters of that age, like fighting for the belts and trying to either win it or regain it. So I don't think it's going to be a big factor for Volk, honestly. I mean, shit, Volk could be 28 right now, and I think this fight is going to be exactly the same. Yes, I do feel like Yair is peaking right now. And what's what's interesting about Yair is he might lose fights, but he wins like 99% of the wars he's in. He might lose the battle, in the octagon, but in the long scheme of things, Yair takes a piece of everybody he fights. He just does it. Ask Max Holloway what it was like spending 25 minutes with, with Yair Rodriguez. Max may have gotten the judge's nod, but Yair took a piece of Max that night. And that's just what Yair does. From a striking perspective, Yair is going to present things to Volk that he hasn't really seen before at least in a fight. But the thing that Volk does very well is his preparation is just top-notch. He brings in the right people, the right styles. He just knows what he's doing. Him and his team, they bring in the right types of training partners to at least attempt to mimic some of the styles and some of the movements that his opponents bring to the table. Did a great job preparing for Islam Makachev. He's doing the same here. And that stuff helps. And uh, what's maybe the best quality of Volkanovsky, and we really haven't had to see it, ha- ha- we really haven't had to see it too much recently, is that Volk adjusting within a fight, he might be the best to ever do it. I don't think any, just go back and watch that second Max Holloway fight. Dude is losing the first two rounds. He is losing the first two rounds. And then makes one little adjustment heading into the third round and changed everything. To me, he won the last three rounds, won that fight. I know it's one of the most contentious fights in the last 10 years. I never got more shit on social media in my entire life than when I said Volkanovski winning that fight was not a robbery. But people just annihilated me that night. Just annihilated me. But go back and watch that fight. The adjustments Volkanovsky was able to make, despite 
Holloway coming in a completely different fighter than he was ready for was fucking spectacular. And those in-fight adjustments are going to be super interesting in this fight. Because Volk's going to win rounds. Yair's going to have moments where things get real hairy for Volk. I just can't wait for this fight. I know everyone's like, oh, I can't wait for the BMF title fight. Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier is going to be great. Yeah, it is going to be great. It's going to be absolute chaos. We are are fully aware of what that fight's going to look like. It's going to be a car crash. I have no idea what's going to happen in this fight. I have no clue. I'm picking Volk because it's hard to pick against him at this point. But that fight is going to be incredible. To your other question, um, when Yair showed off that belt, he said it was a gift from his management, and the management reached out to the artists. Uh, I believe it's, let me pull it up, Jacobo and Maria Angelis created the belt for him. And that's a cool-ass belt. Just a cool-ass belt. I don't know if they needed like some sort of permission from the UFC to do it, or I'm not really sure, but... Did a damn good job. And to answer your other question, is this Dana saying, oh, we're going to loosen up and have more fun? God, no. Zero chance that happens. We already know the answer to that question. Panda, hello. Oh, boy. Classic Panda. Uh, Dylan, hello. Thank you, got me. Yes, sir. I'm like, so when I look at the Yair Volkanovsky fight on paper, I just can't help but think if Yair tries a lot of that, like, leaving his feet crap that he does, I just feel like it's going to look like the Ortega fight where Volk just has him in guard and just is raining bombs on him. Maybe, like, the way Yair looked against, like, Frankie Edgar or something like that. But I also just want to say, uh, I love you, Mike. I have a Twitter account just for this show, but I think you're overstating a little bit like the peace Yair takes from people. Like, I remember after the Max fight, wasn't Yair like being hauled off to the hospital and Max walked up to him and said, like, hey, you dog, we just won 50 grand. Like, uh, I just don't see the peace that he's taking. Like, he fought Emmett. Emmett just went five hard rounds with Tapuria, but he was just outclassed. And then Ortega was hurt. Zombie, he fought him hard, but then Zombie just got old. I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel like he really is the guy who takes that piece. I don't know. I, I, he's an exciting fighter to finish him, but I don't know. Thanks, Mike. Love you. Thanks, buddy. Well, let's just go through the resume, shall we? The Frankie fight was, was the Frankie fight. Korean Zombie has not been the same guy since they fought, and I know the ending of that fight was pretty fucked up, but He's not the same guy. Jeremy Stevens was never the same guy after he went three rounds with Yair Rodriguez. Was never the same guy. Ever. And Jeremy was kind of like an up and down guy, but Jeremy was on like a pretty good run at the time. Like he was, he was in there doing, he had, had three good wins. His losses were to Jose Aldo. He gave Zabit everything he could handle. And then he goes in with, with Yair and Yair just, he was never the same. He was just never the same. Yair just beat his ass for the first round was pretty tight and pretty competitive, but Yair just kind of took him. And then from there it was, 
Calvin Cater just annihilated him. Gamrock got him out of there in a minute. Clay Collard pieced his ass up. Beat Miles Price, but a lot of people didn't think he won that fight. And then Natan Schultz got him out of there in 90, like a little over six minutes. So, yeah, yeah, dude, Yair just takes pieces, man. He takes pieces. Brian Ortega got hurt, and that was a lot to do with Yair. And Max, I'm sure Max went to the hospital after that fight too. So don't, I wouldn't take that into account. No, I, I don't think I'm overstating that at all. I don't think I'm overstating that at all. And to me, I feel like you're right when it comes to, to this fight. If Yair comes out and he's doing all sorts of crazy shit, you can't do that with Volk. But the fight to me that opened up everybody's eyes was the Emmett fight. He looked like a different dude. He looked like a different guy in that fight. It looked like he took that chaos and was able to bottle it up into something a little more calculated, but still chaotic at the same time. And he just beat the hell out of Josh Emmett. And Josh is a durable son of a gun, but Ilya Taporia beat Josh Emmett up for 25 minutes and couldn't get him out of there. Yair got him out of there in nine minutes and 19 seconds. It's a different guy. He's a different striker. And he's a more mature guy now. More calculated fighter. 30 years old. He's like right smack in the middle of his athletic prime right now. This is the time. This is when we're going to see the best Yair. This is it. So I love this fight so much. Golly. Panda, hello. Take two, Mike. How are we? Yeah. Good. Panda, you're killing me. You're muted now. All right. Wasn't meant to be, Panda. We tried. Uh, Terrence, hello. Mike. What's up, buddy? <clears throat> so um, I agree with the last person who talked about Yair. Um, I know you said that he takes pieces away from you or what have you, but <clears throat> I totally agree that he, his last, like, few fights are kind of, like, been, like, questionable. But I also think that it doesn't matter because when you talk about fights, they're individual. And we saw what happened with Amanda Nunez versus Pena. Pena was up and down, and she had got submitted by somebody who has never submitted somebody. And then she turns around and then submit the greatest of all time. So anything can happen. And that's the year factor. He's always been like the anything can happen type person. But in a vacuum seal, if you want to put everything together, I personally think that his resume is kind of like questionable because it has like those like, oh, well, he was losing until like the last second. If only Korean zombie didn't do this whole thing or, um, oh, if Ortega would have just left his arm in there and just wait out the rounds towards the end of the round, like type things like that. Um, but all that doesn't matter because of the fact that he is a questionable fighter when it comes to like what to expect from him. You never know what to expect from him. And you can't game plan for anything like that. Because I think Yair don't even know what he's going to do half the time. He's just in a flow state. Um, but the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about is when it comes to the hooker fight, I think that 
he either retires after this fight. If he loses, it'll be like a um, what's his Brad Riddell type situation because he said he's only in it for to be a champion if he thinks that he can't be a champion anymore than he he's done. Or I think he'll not cut as much weight and move up to 170 for fun fights because money does talk. If this fight isn't won, he'll more or less just be like done and just like be in it for the money or like completely retire and do his own thing over in New Zealand. Um, what are your thoughts on that? That's all. Thank you. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think he's going to retire. I'd be, I, I, I would actually be surprised, like really surprised if he retires. Just for the fun fights and, and all of that. But and then to your other point about, you know, and you're right, it doesn't really matter. Um, you could sit there and you could pinpoint anybody's losses or weird wins and be like, well, what if this happened or what if that happened? Like you can do that to everything. You can needle everything if you really want to. But no, I don't think Dan Hooks should retire. All right. We got about seven or eight minutes left. We have about seven or eight of you in line. Uh, so we're going to go rapid fire. So fire out your questions, 30 seconds, and then uh, I'll respond to as many as I can. Fit- Daniel, hello. Hey, Mike. Top of the morning to you. Just got a quick five-minute breakdown question here. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> totally joking. Uh, you know, last week I came in and I, I we just spoke quickly about a boost in Strickland just feeling like, hey, you know, kind of this matchup came out of nowhere. I understand they want to push a boost, but – Man, after seeing, you know, the, the results of that fight, I mean, just in your opinion, what do you think the UFC is going to do with the boost? Like, do, do you think they personally are saying, hey, I think we made a mistake. I think we pushed a little too hard. I mean, do, do you think a boost even comes back, you know, soon? I don't even know if – do you think he fights before the end of this year? Like, I'm just kind of curious what, what you think the UFC is thinking after taking a shot on a boost here. Thanks, Mike. To me, this wasn't about a boost. This is about Strickland. This is about getting him in the mix for this middleweight title thing. This is about getting somebody in there, just a headline, but making it purposeful. Uh, While the fight made no sense from a rankings perspective, it did everything it needed to do for Sean Strickland. And I think anybody who broke this fight down all nailed it. A boost had five minutes to finish Sean Strickland. And if you couldn't get him out of there, he was going to lose the fight and it wasn't going to be pretty. And that's exactly what happened. Now, did I think Sean Strickland was going to go out there and just run his ass over in the second round? No, I didn't see that coming. Could we have seen a, a championship rounds finish? Yeah, I thought that was in play. But I thought we were going to see a clear 49-46 for Sean Strickland. This is exactly, this is the best case scenario for the UFC. Strickland got a main event spot. They had the highlight reel of him getting a quick finish in his debut. And now if DDP and Whitaker beat the hell out of each other and neither of those guys are available to fight Israel Adesanya, they will just throw Sean Strickland in the mix. He's good to go. Worst case, Strickland's the backup. There you go. So I don't think this is about pushing a boost. They would kind of play that hand if it was dealt to them. But the fight went the way pretty much everybody thought it would. And what's next for Abus? He's going to get run over by Rudzaboff, who knocked out Bruno Fajeda in a minute and 17 seconds. So 
that's kind of where they're going to go. They're going to use a Boos's main event stature to get over somebody else. And I feel like they'll just chuck him in there with Rudesboff and six foot five Rudesboff's just going to go in there and kill him. Let's go to four ounce sniper. Let's fire through these. What's up, four ounce sniper? You too. Yep. All right. So uh, I remember you've been saying for the past couple months that you've got vibes, and it turns out I've got those same vibes about Yair Rodriguez. I'm actually a bold prediction. I'm going to pick him to win by decision. I'm stuck between betting on split or just straight-up decision, but I feel like he's going to have the big moments in this fight. He's going to rock Yair. Not Yair. Yair is going to rock Alex a few times, and I believe he's going to steal a decision. Uh, So I guess we're going and new with that one. How do you feel about that, Mike? It's possible. It's possible. Jed, Mich- Jed Michoud has been on the Yair train ever since his fight was booked. Probably ever since Yair beat Josh Emmett. He was like flirting with that line, and not long after that, he's been well over it on the Yair side. So uh, we'll hear more from Jed on BTL coming up a little bit later on, but I don't think you're alone in that. Uh, copper to Chloride. Hello. Hello. Uh, I just wanted to know if you ever text the commentators, specifically Dominic Cruz, when he makes a weird comment about the rules or whatnot, because I know he always harps about a ref calling toes in the cage, but it's in clause 15 of the unified rules found on the ABC boxing website. Just wanted to know if you ever say anything to them about that. So I don't text Dominic Cruz. Um, but I, I think I think a lot of us are in agreement that the color commentators specifically, outside of Laura Sanko, because she does a tremendous job with this, uh, they need to understand the rules better. And I know they some of them have been taking classes with the ABC and doing different seminars and stuff, uh, but they ain't doing it. They ain't learning shit. We got Dominic Cruz coming out there and just talking his nonsense. DC doesn't know anything about the rules. Michael Bisbing thinks points like you should be rewarded for defending takedowns. Like some of the shit that they say is unbelievable. John Anik has a good grasp on it. He's always trying to learn. Uh, Laura Sanko does a great job. She was incredible on Saturday talking about different things. Don't, especially with the stats numbers, because that's what fucks people up more than anything. When you look at the decision, like if you go to a decision and people think it's a robbery, they're like, well, look at the significant stats number, the significant strike, strike numbers. This dude landed way more than this guy. That's not how it works. First of all, those numbers are unofficial. Second, it doesn't tell the whole story. And if you need an example of that, Rob Font versus Jose Aldo, Rob Font versus Marlon Vera. That's everything you need to know. That's the difference between statistics and damage and how fights actually are playing out. Those are the two prime examples. Rob Font's significant strike numbers were like triple both Marlon Vera and Jose Aldo. But Font lost the fight rightfully because he got blasted in both of those fights. So, yeah, they just got to do a better job of understanding the rules. It ain't too, it, this is, it's not 2016 anymore. It's not 2016 anymore. Be better. Be better. All right, let's keep the rapid fire going. Four corners. All right, hey, Mike. So, what's it called? One can say that you might be responsible if Strickland and Adesanya happen because I believe you were the person that 
asked the, those questions at the press conference, and I would feel like it would only be fair if MMA fighting flies you out to Sydney if that is the main event, you know, for you to ask those same questions again at the press conference. Um, also, you made a, a good point about Frankie Edgar versus Yair. Frankie was never the same, and I feel like the, the same proponent was, I can say about Dan Hooker, never was the same against after the Dustin uh, Poirier fight, and I really wonder how we're going to look at um, Dan Hooker if he loses to Jalen Turner, which I'm picking Jalen Turner to win by, by submission, and uh, what do you think Dan Hooker is in line for afterwards? Um, I don't think either of these guys are going to like it, and Frankie Edgar didn't really he didn't really take a piece of Frankie because Frankie beat that ass in that fight. Um, but Yair made Zombie not the same fighter. Jeremy Stevens is never the same fighter. We kind of have to go from there. Um, that's what I mean about taking a piece with you more than anything. I think the winner of that fight's gonna fight Grant Dawson next. I mean, there's just nothing else that makes sense. None of those guys are getting any significant steps up. Maybe if Dan Hooker wins, maybe they chuck him in there with Armin Sarukian, but I think Sarukian deserves way better than that at this point. No disrespect to Dan Hooker. Um, but I kind of feel like Grant Dawson's awaiting the winner. And that's sort of how it should be, if we're being honest. Black Belt MMA. Have at it. What's up? How are you? Everything is good? Good. Uh, I just, Everything's good, man. What you got? Uh, uh, I just want to talk about uh, uh, Sean Strickland. Uh, I feel his uh, st- I, I like him first, uh, and I like his tweet. It's uh, so so funny, but I think his style in fighting is not that good. And and his last win about uh, against uh, Abus was because uh, Abus have no stamina. And that's it. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's why this matchup was so good for Sean. Because Sean's super durable. Sean is super durable. But he has been knocked out. Like Alex Pereira knocked him out, but Alex Pereira knocks out anybody at 185. This is a tailor-made matchup for Sean. Like a lot of people are like, well, you know, they're pushing a boost. No, I didn't think they were pushing a boost. I think they were just giving Sean Strickland a chance to shine. I think the UFC loves Sean Strickland. I think they love everything they, that he stands for. They don't mind that he says ridiculous shit all the time. They don't care. They, in fact, love that. So this was a Sean Strickland showcase, and that's exactly what happened here. So Sean's style isn't like – this is not what you teach people. It's not what you teach people in the gym, but it works for him, and he's really good at it, and he wins a lot of fights with that style. So – it's not the most aesthetically pleasing at times, but it is frustrating as hell. When you hit that dude with everything you have and he just keeps marching forward, it works for him. It works for him. It's not going to work for everybody, but it certainly works for him. All right, we'll take a couple more and then I really have to go. Uh, let's fire through these real quick. Ani, hello. Yes, buddy. What's up? Um, no, you did not miss me. Don't lie. Anyway, um, I, I'm just, you know, it has reached. I, I didn't believe I'm going to. I don't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm just sad that I have to go through another Tony Ferguson fight week. Oh, that's not now. That's next. But I don't know. I just brought it up. 
Um, I think the actual fight was supposed to be Tony Ferguson versus Robbie Lawler. Do you remember hashtag lobby for Robbie? I still stand by that, yes. Mike. But that would have been nice. I mean, we, we, we keep getting robbed off of these really nice legacy fights. That's all I have to say. And I'm excited for International Fight Week. And I have loads to talk about on Free For All Friday. I don't have any MMA stuff, just regular stuff. Speak to you on Friday, Mike. Okay. All right. We will see you tomorrow. Yeah, if they did Lawler Ferguson, I would have been fine with that. I would have been fine with that. Nico's just a fun name. Those two are just going to have at it. It's just, they're just going to fight and beat the hell out of each other. Like, it's just going to be a fun last fight for Robbie. So, yeah, Ferguson would have made sense. But this is fine. This is fine. And Tony gets Bobby Green, and that's fine, too. Drayson, hello. Drayson, are you there? All right. Panda, real quick, let's try one last time. Can we get you in? Hello, Mike. Yes. Finally, three for a dollar. How are we doing? Um, so I'm not going to lie, while I was sitting here, my Dan Hooker question kind of got, uh, you know, taken up and vanished. So I'll just ask you a quick question. Thoughts on blonde Dan Hooker? Could that be the difference he's been, you know, looking for? Secondly, uh, I want to make a comment about Dominic Cruz. I don't know if it was brought up or not. The end of that Joachim Silva fight, he literally, like, went for Keith Peterson's job. He was like, you know, at least he gave him a shot to keep fighting while Joachim Silva's literally getting flattered, by, flattened by Armand Saruki. And, like, I don't know. I feel like Dominic Cruz takes those subtle jabs and shots and, and makes it more about him on the broadcast when it's not. It, it, it's about the people that are fighting in there. Um, all right, Mike. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's why Jed and I have been on the same hill for a while, that Dominic Cruz should not be in the booth. Dominic Cruz should be at the desk. Then he could say all that stuff. You, If you're on the desk in those spots with Karen Bryan or Dan Helly, like, you can say those things. You can sit there and shit on the referee and tell little jokes and take little shots. Like, you can do that all day, and no one bats an eye. Like, that is – that's what you're doing. You are an analyst. You're analyzing – the competitors, the referees, the judges, you can analyze anything you want. But when it comes to commentary, in color commentary, you are trying to explain to people what is happening. Do you think that anybody fucking knows over the last couple of years with Dominic? Like, let's just say you were a fan a year ago. Let's just say you found MMA a year ago. Do you think any of those people have a fucking clue what Dominic Cruz is talking about when it comes to Keith Peterson? Do you think they understand these subtle jabs that Dominic Cruz is saying? No. They have no – they're like, what the hell is he talking about? What is he saying? I don't understand why he hates this referee so much. And you don't have time to give context, and you can't go through the whole story. That's why – like, do the desk. Do the desk. Do the pre-shows. Do UFC Live. Then you could be on the – you could talk all that shit, and it makes more sense. But doing it in the fight – and talking about how the referee is single-handedly costing these people money and all that stuff when it's just not true? Come on, man. Come on. Be better. Be more like Laura Sanko because she gets it. She gets it. And she makes it simple and easy to understand. Oh, we got to be better. But Dominic Cruz is a name. 
And Dom, like when Dominic is on and he's not taking things personally and he's with the right crew, if it's like him and Anik, just the two of them, he's really good. Like he's really good. Like Anik can keep him on course. But when you mix in another voice, when you throw in a Bisbing or you throw in a DC and they just have to like battle it out for time, like it's tough, man. It's just so tough. When you get those personalities all meshed in, it's very difficult to put some of those personalities together. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Sometimes it does. Like people give Rogan and DC a bunch of crap, and there are cards where those two are really bad together, like really bad. And there are certain cards where they are really good together, and they're just on one. It just flows good. Um, But it's not always like that, so – yeah, hopefully the commentary gets better. Hopefully Sanko gets more opportunities to be on these cards. I'd love to see her. Well, when they go to Sydney, they're going to Sydney, what? In September? Give Sanko a shot. You know Rogan's not going to be there. Give Sanko a chance. Put her on the broadcast and see what she does. Let's see how she handles it. And I think she'd be just fine. But all right, everybody. Thank you all very much. We'll be back on tomorrow. Yeah, I feel like today's Tuesday, so this is the first show of the week. But tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll do it again. We'll talk 290. We'll do all that fun stuff. It's free-for-all Friday. We'll talk about other stuff as well. And then we'll get you ready for UFC 290. Preview show tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern, live on the YouTube channel. Watch party Saturday. People's pre-fight show. Weigh-in show tomorrow as well. BTL, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, a little over an hour from right now. Jed versus BC. You're listening on the podcast network. You could hear that a little bit later on today as well. But thank you all very much. Have a great rest of your Thursday. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.